Letter twenty nine of Clarissa, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Clarissa Harlow, or the History of a Young Lady, Volume One, by Samuel Richardson. Letter twenty nine. Miss Clarissa Harlow to Miss Howe. Saturday, March the eleventh. I have had such taunting messages, and such repeated avowals of ill offices brought me from my brother and sister, if I do not comply with their wills, delivered to with provoking sauciness by Betty Barnes, that I have thought it proper, before I entered upon my intended address to my uncles in pursuance of the hint given me in my mother's letter to expostulate a little with them, but I have done it in such a manner as will give you, if you please to take it as you have done some parts of my former letters, great advantage over me. In short, you will have more cause than ever to declare me far gone in love if my reasons for the change of my style in these letters with regard to Mr. Lovelace does not engage your more favourable opinion, for I have thought proper to give them their own way, and since they will have it, that I have a preferable regard for Mr. Lovelace, I give them cause rather to confirm their opinion than doubt it. These are my reasons in brief for the alteration of my style. In the first place, they have grounded their principal argument for my compliance with their will upon my acknowledgment that my heart is free, and so, supposing I give up no preferable person, my opposition has the look of downright obstinacy in their eyes, and they argue that at worst my aversion to Soames is an aversion that may easily be surmounted, and ought to be surmounted in duty to my father and for the promotion of family views. Next. Although they build upon this argument in order to silence me, they seem not to believe me, but treat me as disgracefully as if I were in love with one of my father's footmen, so that my conditional willingness to give up Mr. Lovelace has procured me no favour. In the next place, I cannot but think that my brother's antipathy to Mr. Lovelace is far from being well grounded. The man's inordinate passion for the sex is the crime that is always rung in my ears, and a very great one it is. But does my brother recriminate upon him thus in love to me? No. His whole behaviour shows me that this is not his principal motive, and that he thinks me rather in his way than otherwise. It is, then, the call of justice, as I may say, to speak a little in favour of a man who, although provoked by my brother, did not him do all the mischief he could have done to him, and which my brother had endeavoured to do him. It might not be amiss, therefore, I thought, to alarm them a little with apprehension that the methods they are taking with me are the very reverse of those they should take to answer the end they design by them. And after all, what is the compliment I make, Mr. Lovelace, if I allow it to be thought that I do really prefer him to such a man as him they terrify me with? Then my Miss Howe, concluded I, accuses me of a tameness which subject me to insults from my brother. I will keep that dear friend in my eye, and for all these considerations try what a little of her spirit will do. Sit it 
ever so awkwardly upon me. In this way of thinking, I wrote to my brother and sister. This is my letter to him. Treated as I am, and in great measure, if not wholly, by your instigations, brother, you permit me to expostulate with you upon the occasion. It is not my intention to displease you in what I am going to write, and yet I must deal freely with you. The occasion calls for it. And permit me, in the first place, to remind you that I am your sister, and not your servant, and that, therefore, the bitter revilings and passionate language bought me from you, upon an occasion in which you have no reason to prescribe to me, are neither worthy of my character to bear, nor of yours to offer. Put the case that I were to marry the man you dislike, and that he were not to make a polite or tender husband, is that a reason for you to be an unpolite and disobliging brother? Why must you, sir, anticipate my misfortunes were such a case to happen? Let me tell you plainly that the man who could treat me as a wife, worse than you of late have treated me as a sister, must be a barbarous man indeed. Ask yourself, I pray you, sir, if you would thus have treated your sister Bella, had she thought fit to receive the addresses of the man so much hated by you? If not, let me caution you, my brother, not to take your measures by what you think will be borne, but rather by what ought to be offered. How would you take it if you had a brother who, in a like case, were to act by you as you do by me? You cannot but remember what a laconic answer you gave even to my father, who recommended to you, Miss Nelly Doyley, you did not like her, were your words, and that was thought sufficient. You must needs think that I cannot but know to whom to attribute my disgraces when I recollect my father's indulgence to me, permitting me to decline several offers, and to whom that a common cause is endeavoured to be made in favour of a man whose person and manners are more exceptional than those of any of the gentlemen I have been permitted to refuse. I offer not to compare the two men together, nor is there indeed the least comparison to be made between them. All the difference to the one's advantage, if I did, is but one point, of the greatest importance indeed, but to whom of most importance? To myself, surely, were I to encourage his application, of the least to you. Nevertheless, if you do not, by your strange politics, unite that man and me as joint sufferers in one cause, you find me as much resolved to renounce him as I am to refuse the other. I have made an overture to this purpose. I hope you will not give me reason to confirm my apprehensions, that it will be owing to you if it be not accepted. It is a sad thing to have to say it, without being conscious of ever having given you cause of offence, that I have in you a brother, but not a friend. Perhaps you will not condescend to enter into the reasons of your late and present conduct with a foolish sister. But if politeness, if civility, be not due to that character and to my sex, justice is. Let me take the liberty further to observe that the principal end of a young man's education at the university is to learn him to reason justly and to subdue the violence of his passions. 
I hope, brother, that you will not give room for anybody who knows us both to conclude that the toilet has taught the one more of the latter doctrine than the university has taught the other. I am truly sorry to have cause to say that I have heard it often remarked that your uncontrolled passions are not a credit to your liberal education. I hope, sir, that you will excuse the freedom I have taken with you. You have given me too much reason for it, and you have taken much greater with me without reason. So, if you are offended, ought to look at the cause and not at the effect, then examine in yourself that will cause this will cease, and there will not be anywhere a more accomplished gentleman than my brother. Sisterly affection, I do assure you, sir, unkindly as you have been used me, and not the pertness of which of late you have been so apt to impute to me is my motive in this hint let me invoke your returning kindness my only brother and give me cause i beseech you to call you my compassionating friend for i am and ever will be your affectionate sister clarissa harlowe this is my brother's answer to Miss Clarissa Harlow. I know there will be no end of your impertinent scribble if I don't write to you. I write, therefore, but without entering into argument with such a conceited and pert preacher and questioner, it is to forbid you to plague me with your quaint nonsense. I know not what wit in a woman is good for, but to make her overvalue herself and despise every other person. Yours, Miss Pert, has set you above your duty, and above being taught or prescribed to, either by parents or anybody else. But go on, Miss. Your mortification will be the greater. That's all, child. It shall, I assure you, if I can make it so, so long as you prefer that villainous Lovelace, who is justly hated by all your family, to everybody. We see by your letter now, what we too justly suspected before, most evidently we see, the hold he has got of your forward heart. But the stronger the hold, the greater must be the force, and you shall have enough of that to tear such a miscreant from it. In me, notwithstanding your saucy lecturing and your saucy reflections before, you are sure of a friend as well as of a brother, if it be not your own fault." But if you will still think of such a wretch as that Lovelace, never expect either friend or brother in James Harlow. I will now give you a copy of my letter to my sister, with her answer. In what, my dear sister, have I offended you, that instead of endeavouring to soften my father's anger against me, as I am sure I should have done for you, had my unhappy case been yours, you should, in so hard-hearted a manner, join to aggravate not only his displeasure, but my mother's against me. Make but my own case your own, my dear Bella, and suppose you were commanded to marry Mr. Lovelace, to whom you are believed to have such an antipathy, you would not think it a very grievous injunction. Yet cannot your dislike to Mr. Lovelace be greater than mine is to Mr. Soames? nor a love and hatred voluntary passions. 
my brother may perhaps think it is a proof of a manly spirit to show himself an utter stranger to the gentle passions. We have both heard him boast that he is never with loved with distinctions, and having predominating passions, checked in the first attempt, perhaps he never will. It is the less wonder, then, raw from the college, so lately himself the tutored, that he should set up for himself a tutor, a prescriber to our gentler sex, whose tastes and manners are differently formed. For what, according to his count, are colleges but classes of tyrants, from the upper students over the lower, and from them to the tutor? that he, with such masculine passions, should endeavour to control and bear down an unhappy sister, in a case where his antipathy, and give me leave to say, his ambition, once you would have allowed the letter to be his fault, can be gratified by so doing, may not be quite so much to be wondered at, but that a sister should give up the cause of a sister, and join with him to set her father and mother against her in a case that might have been her own. Indeed, my Bella, this is not pretty in you. There was a time that Mr. Lovelace was thought reclaimable, and when it was far from being deemed a censurable view to hope to bring him back to the paths of virtue and honour, a man of his sense and understanding. I am far from wishing to make the experiment, but nevertheless will say— that if I have not a regard for him, the disgraceful methods taken to compel me to receive the addresses of such a man as Mr. Soames are enough to induce it. Do you say, my dear sister, for one moment, lay aside all prejudice, and compare the two men in their births, their educations, their persons, their understandings, their manners, their air, and their whole deportments, and in their fortunes too, taken in reversions, and then judge of both. Yet, as I have frequently offered, I will live single with all my heart, if that will do. I cannot thus live in displeasure and disgrace. I would, if I could, oblige all my friends. But will it be just, will it be honest, to marry a man I cannot endure? If I have not been used to oppose the will of my father, but have always delighted to oblige and obey, judge of the strength of my antipathy by the painful opposition I am obliged to make, and cannot help it. Pity, then, my dearest Bella, my sister, my friend, my companion, my adviser, as you used to be when I was happy, and plead for your ever-affectionate Clarissa Harlowe. To Miss Clary Harlow. Let it be pretty, or not pretty, in your wise opinion. I shall speak my mind. I will assure you, both of your and our conduct in relation to this detested Lovelace. You are a fond, foolish girl with all your wisdom. Your letter shows that enough in twenty places. And as to your cant of living single, nobody will believe you. This is one of your fetches to avoid complying with your duty, and the will of the most indulgent parents in the world, as yours have been to you, I am sure, though now they see themselves finally requited for it. 
We all indeed once thought your temper soft and amiable. But why was it? You were never contradicted before. You had always your own way. But no sooner do you meet with opposition in your wishes to throw yourself away upon a vile rake, but you show what you are. You cannot love Mr. Soames. That's the pretense. But sister, sister, let me tell you that is because Lovelace has got into your fond heart. A wretch hated, justly hated by us all, and who has dipped his hands in the blood of your brothers. Yet him you would make our relation, would you? I have no patience with you, but for putting the case of my liking such a vile wretch as him. As to the encouragement you pretend he received formerly from all our family, it was before we knew him to be so vile, and the proofs that had such force upon us ought to have had some upon you, and would, had you not been a foolish forward girl, as on this occasion everybody sees you are. Oh, how you run out of favour of the wretch! His birth, his education, his person, his understanding, his manners, his air, his fortune! Reversions too taken in augment the surfeiting catalogue! What a fond string of lovesick praises is here! And yet you would live single! Yes, I warrant, when so many imaginary perfections dance before your dazzled eyes! But no more! I only desire that you will not, while you seem to have such an opinion of your wit, think every one else a fool, and that you can at pleasure, by your whining flourishes, make us dance after your lead. Write as often as you will. This shall be the last answer or notice you shall have upon this subject from Arabella Harlowe. I had in readiness a letter for each of my uncles and meeting in the garden a servant of my uncle Harlow, I gave him to deliver according to their respective directions. If I am to form a judgment by the answers I have received from my brother and sister as above, I must not, I doubt, expect any good from those letters. But when I have tried every expedient, I shall have the less to blame myself for, if anything unhappy should fall out. I will send you copies of both, when I see what notices they will be thought worthy of, if of any. End of letter 29 Recording by Ben Dutton, Lampeter, Wales